Um, but anyway, I'm excited to be here today. We are in a series called Walk the Walk. Um, it's a study from the book of James, and it's just about living the life that God has called us to. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the world today, and people are looking for authenticity. Amen? They're looking for something that is real, something that is genuine. And as believers, we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. We're called to represent him well. And so if we're not walking the walk that he's called us to, then we're not a good representation of who Jesus is. Amen? And so last week, Pastor Matt talked about hypocrisy. And he said that James says that we should be more than just hearers of the word. We should be doers of the word as well, right? And we do that by going to the word of God and looking into it as a mirror. That was really powerful for me. Like I I have to come to the word and I have to look at it and let it judge me and let it show things in my life first before I can go and represent Christ well. Amen? Amen. And so anyway, today we're going to move on to week two. And um, I'm really excited. Stop talking, Kelly. You're being really rude and interrupting. Oh my gosh. Um, So anyway, today we're going to talk about anger. (laughs) How many of you did that get? I was really worried that I was going to do this and start laughing and whatever. It's like I have to work really hard on my my acting. Um, But anyway, the Bible exhorts us to be angry but not to sin. To be angry and not to sin. And so there's a clear difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of God of man. And in Romans 1:18 it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Would you guys agree that the truth is suppressed today? Man, we're like, do you know like is the medicine good for me? Is it not good for me? Like we're advertising on TV saying go after it, but then there's this long list of disclaimers. Have you guys ever wondered like if you listen to that Like, you may have nausea, you may have diabetes, you may have death, you may have all these things. Come and take this medicine. You know, like, should I take it? Should I not take it? Um, Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Like, what is the truth? And the same is with the word of God. Like, how do I live my life? How do I raise my kids? How do I have a godly marriage? And sometimes it seems like it's hard to find the truth when we're looking for it outside of the word of God. But the Bible tells us that God, he does have wrath against the suppression of the truth. He is angry when the truth is suppressed. He is angry at ungodliness, but he's not angry at you and me. He's not angry at you and me. Psalms 37, 8 says, to cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. See, the wrath of man or the anger of man, it causes harm harm. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It's kind of like a swelling emotional outburst, like what I just tried to do with Kelly, right? It's kind of like comes out of nowhere, like Donald Duck. How many of you guys know Donald Duck? It's not too old, right? And he would turn red in the face and his head would steam. That's like the wrath of man. It's self-centered. It's because I'm angry, I'm upset, or I feel like I've been wronged. We can certainly have a righteous anger that hates evil. It's an anger that comes because of your love for God and your love for people. But anger that comes out of a selfish heart does not ever produce the righteousness of God. It's kind of like gas to a fire. It ignites hate. It ignites 
more frustration, it ignites more evil. Have you guys noticed that? Anytime maybe you've gotten angry and you've kind of blown up at somebody, does it produce something good? It usually produces them getting angry back at you. So how do we handle the injustices of life then? How do we handle the things that aren't fair and the emotions that come with that? In James, it shows us that in chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. It says, understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear, being a careful and thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words, and slow to anger, patient, reflective, forgiving, for the resentful and deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that standard of behavior which God requires from us. So let's pray. Dear Father God, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your word that is a mirror to our heart, a mirror to our life. Lord God, I thank you that you've given us clear instruction how to walk out a life that represents you well and that is free from things like anger. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts today to hear from you in a way that only you can. We invite you to do whatever you want to do in the house today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, a lot of scripture, because the Bible says that our hearts are changed, our minds are changed by the washing of the word. And anger is something that I used to deal with a lot when I was young. And so this is what I use. It was a lot of scripture that I meditated on to wash my mind from those habits and those patterns and become free from anger. And so I would encourage you to write them down. Even if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't think I have a problem with anger. Anger comes at us all, the opportunity to be anger. So I would encourage you to write them down and to keep them for those moments that you need them. So point number one is the wrath of man creates a lot of problems. It creates a lot of problems. It can lead to a lot of physical problems in your life. It can lead to high blood pressure. Some of these I knew. Some of these I was surprised when I researched it. High blood pressure, digestive issues. It can lead to depression. Do you know that it can predispose you to chronic pain? I was like, oh boy. Maybe that explains some of those neck issues years ago. Um, It can also exasperate and perpetuate pain that you already have. And when you carry anger around in your physical body, it is going to have a negative effect on your body because we weren't created to carry around anger. We weren't created to carry it around, and our bodies will suffer when we intend to. The Bible says that a merry heart is like a medicine, but a broken spirit, it dries up the bones. And that's a really revealing scripture because it's saying that if you're joyful and you're happy, we see this in like the world of people with cancer and all of that. If they just have a joyful, positive attitude, their their outcome is usually much better. But if they have a depressed, angry, upset attitude towards it, usually the diagnosis is much more grim. The way we walk out our life, the way we choose to have joy or not joy, choose to have anger is going to affect us in our physical body. It makes you miserable if you're angry all the time. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard someone say, or have you said yourself, man, that guy is so angry. He seems happy. It's almost when you hear that, it's like contradictory, right? If he's so angry, he couldn't be happy because you're miserable if you're an angry person. Proverbs 22:24 says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go. The Bible is saying, like, if there's someone that is angry, don't even be a friend with them. Don't even link arms with them. Don't go with them because it's going to cause you problems and it's going to cause you pain. 
Have you ever had an angry friend? Have you been that angry friend? You kind of get sucked up into it, don't you? That angry person is negative and they're criticizing and they're complaining about things all the time. And all of a sudden you find yourself a little negative, a little criticizing. You're kind of getting mad at the same things they're getting mad at. God's saying, don't do that. Don't be friends with an angry person. You're going to get sucked into that. You get pulled into an angry lifestyle yourself and you'll begin to see life through the lens of offense and criticism. But the wrath of man, it also discredits your testimony. It discredits your testimony. That anger outburst that I had with Kelly, for a second, did you guys go, oh, yeah, why? Because I'm a pastor, right? I should be representing Christ, right? Like, I should not be having those kind of things. And if I would have walked in anger long enough, if you would have seen that in my life, you would be like, ooh, is that an example I should follow? Is that a church I should go to? Is she someone I should listen to? Because it's discrediting my testimony. It's discrediting who I say Jesus is, the Christian life that I say we should live, and I'm living something contradictory to that. It's kind of like wearing a Cardinal shirt and cheering for the Cubs, right? Even though the Cardinals are really bad, I hear right now. Um, But you might actually want to cheer for the Cubs. But I can't say that the Cardinals are the best team and then cheer for the Cubs because it's kind of discrediting my testimony. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says to control your temper for anger labels you a fool. This was one of the scriptures early on, and there are many others in the Bible like it, that really was that mirror into my heart. I was like, man, like who wants to be a fool? Who wants to sign up for that? Exactly. And I was like, ooh, man, every time I act like that, every time I look like that, I look like a fool. I look like a fool. When you've seen people have an angry outburst, do you say, ooh, I want to be like them? You're kind of like, uh, and they didn't handle that so well, right? It makes you look like a fool. I remember when I was probably about 24, 25 years old, it was before I had any kids, and I was driving in a car, and I was fine. Nothing was going on. I was coming home from work. I was going home. I wasn't in a rush to go anywhere in particular, and the light turned red. I really wanted to go through that light for some reason, and I slammed my hands on the wheel and go, ugh. And so then there was a car next to me, and it had two guys in it. Um, And they rolled down their window and like, hey, hey, hey. And so, you know, I figured what every girl would figure, you know, like they're trying to hit on me or something like that. And so I gave them a not kind gesture. And they were like, no, 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 no. We just wanted to say it's not that bad. I was like, oh, roll up my window. (sighs) Of course. But, man, that really, I was like, oh, man. Oh, that stuck. What would have happened if I would have tried to tell them about Jesus? Because, see, I was going to church. I was going to church most every Sunday, and I kind of thought, like, years later, what if they would have showed up to church that next Sunday, and I would have been the greeter standing at the door. Hi, how are you? Welcome to church. I would have been like, bye, crazy lady. Or what if I would have been serving in the kids' ministry, and I've been like, let me take your child. They're like, heck no. (laughs) Heck no. What if they cry or something? Like, no way. My testimony would have been discredited because of the anger outburst that they saw, the misrepresentation of the love of Jesus. The world is stereotyping Christians as angry angry haters today. Have you guys heard that? Man, those Christians are angry, they're haters, they're judgmental. What does it say to the world if we're actually angry? If the way we handle things is from an angry outburst or out of an angry emotion 
rather than the love of Jesus. We're just saying, you have us pegged right. Right? But that's not who Jesus is, and that's not how Jesus approached the world. He approached the world with love, even in situations where there was injustices, even in situations where people were wrong. He always approached them with love. The last thing we need is our testimony discredited because we don't rule our spirit and we allow anger to have his way. In Proverbs 16, 32, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. For those spiritual warriors out there, those ones that are passionate and bold and you go after things and you are going after the injustices of the world, I want to ask you, are you doing it with a heart of love? Because the scripture right here says, he who rules his, his spirit is one who's better than taking a city. So if we go and we burn the house down, God's saying, no, that is not a good representation. Have self-control, have patience, and have love. And through that, I work. So what do we do then? What do we do when we're passionate about something and we see the truth suppressed? Or we see something happening? James, in the verse that I read to you, gave us the answer for that. And it said, first, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. Hearing is a skill that we develop, and it's a posture of our heart. It's a posture of our heart. Jesus said several times to the people, in hearing, you do not hear. You guys read that in the Bible? In hearing, you do not hear. That means that you can listen and not actually hear. That people can talk to you and you can be silent, but you cannot hear what they have to say. And so we need to be listeners that listen to understand. Because we don't want to filter things through a spirit of rejection or a lens of, hey, I already know what you're going to say and I'm formulating. Have you ever done that? Like someone's talking to you and you're already formulating your answer? Not, okay, it's just me. I'm, okay, I'm so sorry that I do that sometimes. And I have to catch myself. I'd be like, wait, I'm not listening. I'm not hearing. I'm already responding in my mind before I'm hearing what they say. And so I can't understand when I do that. So we need to hear to understand. We need to hear to learn. We need to hear to honor. That can be tough, right? Especially if you're on opposite sides of an issue or if you feel like someone just offended you or whatever, we're still called to hear to honor, especially in places of authority. Man, that's a whole other message that I could go into. But how important it is to respect authority. And we hear and we listen so that we can honor. We hear to find clarity. Guys, have you ever been in a conversation where you came into it thinking you knew what was going on and you took the time to listen and you're like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Just, just a couple. Thank you, Deb. Like, only Deb does that. Everyone else, they know right away. Um, but we also hear to build unity. We're here to build unity. We try to find places where we can unify around truth and around the word of God. And we have to hear to be able to do that. In Philippians 2, it tells us to humbly regard others and look out for their own interests. We have to hear to humbly regard others. We have to be a good listener. And so we have to hear people, but even more so, we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And when we come in and we don't take an opportunity to listen, we will miss opportunities to see God reveal things that we need to see. There was a time where I was ministering with another leader to a couple, and they were going to be stepping into leadership years ago. 
Um, they're not here anymore, just so you know. Um, but we were ministering to this couple, and in the middle of this, you know, conversation that we were having, the husband opened up and said he was struggling with pornography. And so the other leader that I was working with starts talking about that in regards of leadership, and he was, you know, um, counseling him and giving him advice. And as I was sitting and I was listening, I was watching, I realized that the wife just found that out at the same time we did. Like, just, just found that out. And God revealed that. And while all of the advice that was being given was really good advice, what needed to happen was not a leadership address. It was a marriage address. It was a heart address. And we could have missed that in the moment had we not stopped and listened to the Holy Spirit, to what was actually going on in the moment. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we will listen. The Holy Spirit will show you what is happening underneath the surface. He will reveal to you the root of what needs to be dealt with that you may not see at first glance, that you may not see when you first come into a thing. We need to listen before we speak. It's a guard for our words. It's a guard for our mouth, and it's a guard for unrighteous anger. I've learned that I rarely go into a situation with a full picture. It's a bit arrogant to think that you can go into something initially and think that you have it all figured out and you know all the details. And so when I'm counseling people, and what I do, I counsel a lot of people, give them a lot of advice on how to handle a lot of things. And in almost every situation, I'm like, you need to listen, you need to ask questions, and you need to understand. Don't talk first. Don't talk first. Ask questions. Why? So that you can hear and that you can understand and you can approach it from a wise place. So point number two is you need to be slow to speak. Or I think that's point number three, actually. Slow to speak. Proverbs 10 says that sin is not lacking in a multitude of words. Let that sit in for a minute. There's a few of you that may say, like, oh, boy, I'm a, I'm a big talker. Um, but it is so true. Sin is not lacking in a multitude of words, it is very important to choose your words carefully, to choose your words precisely. And the more opportunity for emotion, the more opportunity for conflict, the more we should carefully choose our words. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense and discretion make a man slow to anger, and it's his honor and glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. Good sense and discretion. Good sense and discretion is being very careful about what you speak. Being very careful about the words that you use. The Bible tells us that our words can build up or it can tear down. And if you're a child of God sitting in here today, we are charged with always using our words to build up. Always using our words to build up. The Bible also tells us that we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for every single word that we say. Wow, that's a bit humbling right there. Thinking back over the last just like three hours going, oh man, shouldn't have said that. That was a little careless, right? Every word is important. God regards every word you say is important, and we should as well. We should be slow to speak. I found that in any situation, there's your view and there's my view, and then somewhere in between is the truth. Have you guys heard that? And it doesn't mean that people are lying. Oftentimes, they're not lying. Oftentimes, it's that I am seeing a situation through my lens, through my pain, through my hurt, through my emotions, and to me, it looks a certain way. And if I'm slow to speak, and I'm slow to accuse, and I'm slow to assume, 
then I realize that, oh, you didn't mean what you said? Oh, I took that a little wrong. And I begin to see the truth as I carefully ask questions and I don't speak too quickly. Be prayerful over the words you say because it's so important. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Guys, the simplicity of a carefully chosen tone can make a world of difference. I'm going to say that again. The simplicity of a carefully chosen tone makes a world of difference. There's leaders and um, statisticians that say that if you will just keep your voice about two or three notches underneath whatever the person is, you are going to force them to come down in their anger. Does that make sense? Like if someone's yelling at you and you will just talk in a calm and respectful way and you will just not let your voice go up and you will just stay down, that you will force them to come down. That's this scripture right here. A gentle answer will deflect anger. If you can just have self-control in a situation, you have the ability to deflect anger. But it also says that a harsh word will make tempers flare. So at the same time, you can make it flare up. You can ignite that fire. You can come in with a harsh word and a sharp tongue, and you can take things from where they could have been to a whole nother level and make it so much worse. Isn't that awesome that we have the ability through the Spirit of God to have that much effect on a situation? Think for a moment the last time someone came at you in anger, because I'm sure it's happened to all of us. How did you respond when they came at you? Did you feel like the heat flare up a little bit? Maybe you didn't say anything. Maybe you didn't do anything. But did you feel it start to rise up in you? That's because that's what anger does. It ignites. It ignites. And if we don't have self-control in that moment, we're going to lash back. We're going to respond back out of anger. Proverbs 29.11 says, A short-sighted fool always loses their temper and displays his anger, but a wise man uses self-control and holds it back. Proverbs is very to the point, right? It does not beat around the bush, and it says that if you are someone who is always in a state of anger, if that's your response, then the Bible calls you a fool. And that's the way I was back in those early years, and it was these scriptures that really started to reveal to me that I needed to do something about it. How often do you lose your temper? Your kids will know. Your spouse will know. Right? In those situations, do you see the righteousness of God at work? Do you see God moving? Do you see him doing something? We always have excuses. I, when I got angry, usually it was because someone did something, right? I had a reason, I thought. I had an excuse, I thought. But I never saw God work in those situations. I never saw the righteousness of God moving. I never saw him able to do something in those situations. Point number four is be slow to anger. We're encouraged throughout the Bible many times to be slow to anger because we can all slip into it. This isn't that person with the anger problem, right? This is all of us have the ability to slip into anger. And so cultivating our relationship with the Father is so important. Because self-control and patience is a fruit of the Spirit. 
And we have to be cultivating that relationship so the fruit of patience and the fruit of self-control is operating in our lives. We have to catch ourselves before we respond sinfully from anger because the wrath of man is sin. When you lose your temper, when you explode in anger, that is sin. Whatever the reason, whatever the excuse, it is sin. And we have to deal with that in our lives. We can respond in anger in a godly way against unrighteousness, against ungodliness. But we have to respond like Jesus did. We're mad at the sin. We're angry at the sin. And we come at that thing in prayer. And we battle that thing with the word of God. And we will not stand. We will not back down from sin and unrighteousness. But we will love people. But we will love people. Anger can cause us to say and do things that we wouldn't normally do when we have a calm and level head. Have you guys ever responded out of anger and you're like, man, why did I do that? A couple weeks ago, Matt talked about how he threw the orange juice against the wall, right? For those of you that heard it, yeah, and the orange juice hung out there for a really long time. Uh, He would normally never do that. That was normally never something he would do. He did it one time and that was it. But in that moment, he responded in a way that was not godly, and that was out of character. That should tell us something about operating from anger. Because when we do that, what do we experience? Remorse, regret, shame, right? You know it's wrong if you're experiencing those emotions and you're walking in that way. Exodus 34 says, tell us, or Exodus 34 tells us that the Lord is slow to anger and he is abundant in loving kindness and truth. If anyone ever had a reason to be angry at anybody, it would be God at us. It would be God at us. Because he is perfect and we are not. He gave us everything, including his son. And we have not operated in a way that respects that and honors that well. But yet the Bible says he responds in loving kindness. He is long-suffering. His goodness goes after us. His goodness chases us. And if we are ambassadors for that Jesus, shouldn't we do the same? If God responded like that, then we should as well. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger and patient calms disputes. That's the way I want to walk. When I see things flaring up in the world, when I see things going awry, I want to be the one that comes in and calms disputes. I want to be the one in the body of Christ that isn't the one gossiping and stirring things up and doing all that. I want to be the one that calms disputes. I want to be the one that contends for unity. Do you? Do you? We can be right in the middle of God's plan for our life, and anger can come and mess things up. Do you guys know that? God can have you right in the middle of his will, and if we respond like that, if we operate like that, we can mess it all up. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Folly, trouble, a mess behind you, everywhere you go. I used to work at a place called West County Eye Care. Um, There was this lady there. She was was a very irritating lady. Um, And I was always mad at her. I was was still 26, guys. Uh, And so this particular lady I had run-ins with all the time. And it was just little things or whatever, and I, I really thought that no one really knew but her. I actually kind of thought sometimes she didn't know. Like I would maybe say a little comment, it was a little sharp. 
Um, and, and anyway, but she didn't seem to like me too much. And I finally got pregnant, which most of you know that we struggle getting pregnant um, in the beginning. And I finally got pregnant. And on that particular day after working there, I wound up sleeping in because I was pregnant because that's what you should do when you're pregnant. You should sleep in. Um, and so I missed work. And when I went in to tell them, they fired me. They fired me. It's the only time I've ever been fired. And I was like, why in the world? And they're like, well, I mean, you kind of like always had run-ins with this lady. And you know, she's been here for like 20 years, so we're not letting her go. Uh, and you were late, so kind of like I was looking for a reason to fire you. And she let me go. Well, this particular job I had prayed for, I had sought out. Most of my jobs were offered to me. This particular job I went after. And I felt like I was right in the middle of God's will. Previous to that, we were rehabbing houses and renting them out and all of that, and I didn't want to do that anymore because I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, um, and so I was trying to save money. And here I felt like I was right in the middle of God's will, but yet my attitude and the way I handled it messed it all up. It messed it all up. How patient are you? Are you in the middle of something that God has placed you in? Is he perfectly positioned you somewhere? Is he answering a prayer for you? Are you walking in that well? Are there things in your life like anger that maybe have an opportunity to mess up what God is wanting to do if you don't deal with that? If you don't come to the mirror of the word of God and let him reveal things to you? Because God will not force you to do anything that you are unwilling to do. God will not force you to change. He will not force you to stay in the middle of his will. He will not force a good outcome if you're unwilling to walk his way. And so if we choose to not come to the mirror of the word of God, or if we do and we don't let it affect us, God will allow the consequences of whatever that is to come about. Is anger compromising something that God's wanting to do through you right now? I started out at the beginning of this message and I said that anger is a posture of your heart. We can sin because we're unrighteously angry and not actually act on it. Does that make sense? Even if we don't act out of anger, it begins in our heart. Jesus was very clear to address that when he said, if you're mad at your brother unrighteously, it's the same as murder. If you lust after a woman in your heart, it's the same as adultery. We need to first start with our heart. So I want to ask you today, what's going on in your heart? Let the Holy Spirit sift your heart. Maybe you haven't thrown orange juice against the wall or yelled at Kelly. But maybe you can feel that you deal with anger in your heart. That you're constantly having to pull that back. That you're constantly having to hold yourself in check, and you feel like there are moments when you could explode. Because let me just tell you, if you're in that place, eventually you will. Eventually you will. A person can become ingrained in a pattern of anger. It can be something that they do, and that's their first response. They don't even really think about it. Kind of like me hitting the wheel of that steering wheel. I don't even know why I did it. I wasn't even really all that mad. But it was just something didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. And my response was anger. It was a pattern. It was something that had been established in my life. This is a stronghold and it needs to be broken. 
I remember thinking things like I do it without feeling like I can control it. That was rage. And I felt like it just happened. I felt like there was a point where I could control it and then I couldn't. That's a stronghold and it needs to be broken off of your life. Colossians 3, 8 says, but now rid yourselves completely of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene, abusive, filthy, vulgar language from your mouth. We're charged to rid ourselves of those things. God's saying, get rid of them. Do not allow them to stay. Make no excuse for them. It is on you to take control of that. In this pattern, it can pass to the next generation. It can pass to the next generation. And when it does, it seems to become more set in. I have a family history of anger in my family, really on both sides. And both of my grandparents, they were alcoholics. And um, one in particular was a very angry man when he was young. And he, was, he, he dealt with all kinds of physical problems in his early years or whatever. And eventually he did get set free from that. But I watched that play out in my parents. I watched that play out in my upbringing. And I watched that begin to set in on me. And I was responding from that. It was a learned behavior. It was something I sat under. It was a stronghold that I was raised up under. And I was angry and an angry person. And I didn't even know why. I didn't even really have a reason to be why. And I've seen it in my siblings as well. And I was sitting in a message that Pastor Rick, our pastor, had preached, and he was talking about how he dealt with the same thing. And he said, I realized that if I didn't deal with it now, that my kids were going to have to, and it was going to be harder. And, man, that rocked me. I was like, I am not going to let my kids deal with this. I am not going to let this pass on. I am not going to let this be a generational thing that continues to perpetuate. And so I'm going to take a stand right now. Jesus died on the cross to break the bondage of all sin, including anger. All sin. We don't have to stay in any strongholds. We don't have to live under those things. But we have to come to him. And we have to allow him to deal with those things in our life. And so when I realized that this was a family thing, I had to come to the feet of Jesus. I had to take the scriptures, many of what I went over with you today. But there are so many more on this thing. There are so many scriptures in the word that deal with this thing. And I had to apply them to my life. I would post scriptures all over my house for all kinds of things. Have you guys ever done that? Like I've heard other people do that. Like on my mirror it was written and there was pieces of paper or whatever and I'd switch them out. And as soon as it would start to become like I wouldn't pay attention to them anymore, I would change them or I would move their spot because I wanted it to be something that washed my mind. And the good news is, is after a time of doing this, I started to see a change. I started to see a different response. I was a little more patient. Some of those little things, like I didn't hit steering wheels anymore. I actually didn't do it after those guys said that because that was like embarrassing. Um, but I started to see the word work in my life. This applies to anger, but it applies to anything. Christ died for us to not live under the bondage of sin. And so I want to take a few minutes and I want to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes because I want an opportunity for some soul searching today. I want an opportunity for you to sit with the Holy Spirit 
and let him reveal things. Maybe it's anger. And listen, guys, if the church is being um, spoken of, if they're being labeled as angry haters, then that means that there are Christians that are angry, okay? And I know that I was one of them for a long time. But that has to change. That has to change. We have to reach the world. We have to reach the lost. Guys, it breaks my heart because there are kids that have come into our youth group. And I know I've said this before, but there's been more that have said, I've never heard of Jesus. Never heard the stories in the Bible. I've never heard, like it blows my mind in our area that I thought was so conservative that everybody knew about Jesus, that there are those that live here in our neighborhoods that have never heard. And so my question is, if they run into you, what do they see? Do they see a representation of a loving father when you deal with your kids, when you deal with your wife or your husband, when you run into that lady at the store that's moving super slow and you're in a big hurry? If they see you, what do they see? If you're standing and you're representing or you're standing against an issue or whatever it is that you're doing, if there is someone sitting in that room that has never been introduced to Jesus, do they get a good representation of who he is? Or do they see someone that's angry, that's bitter, that lacks self-control, that lacks patience, that lacks love?